I've titled the message today, Press On, Press On. Are you with me today? Say yes. Philippians chapter 3, turn there in your Bible with me. I really believe that this message today is more of a prophetic message. And what I mean by that, um, I believe the Word of God is constantly building us and transforming us. But there are moments in our engagement with His Holy Scriptures that literally is prophetic for where we're at right now, for what you're at. I mean, I, I was reading through uh, the book of Jeremiah this week, and I, I almost wanted to go shoot myself. I mean, the prophet's rebuking everybody. Um, but there are these moments in the Scripture when you read it, and you go, Lord, that's for me right now and what I'm going through. And I believe this message is for us as a church, for you as an individual right now. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul speaking, he says, but one thing I do. Everybody say one thing. Try it again, say one thing. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Everybody say press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. I'm here to tell you today, some of you need to get up and press on again. Some of you need to realize, yes, you've been in the middle of a fire. Yes, it's been terrible, but you've been sitting around complaining so much, and you've gotten so frustrated about what hasn't transpired that what you've done is set in the middle of your mess, and you need to get up, and you need to press on. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. There is this thing in childbirth that they call in the midst of labor, as women are birthing children, it's a moment that they call labor transition. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ladies that have babies know what I'm talking about. It's called, they call it transition for short. And what that is, is there's a moment as they're in the process of labor, and the pain is so excruciating that they hit, they hit this moment where they go, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I can't go any further. And that's the moment that they can realize they're in transition. And a good doctor, a good coach, a good, a, a, you know, a good friend, a, a smart husband will recognize they're in transition, which means they're almost there. They're almost there. And what they need in that moment is someone to say, you got this. Come on, push. Do your best. You got this. Come on. You got this. We're almost there. Don't give up. You got this. And every now and then, we all need a little kick in the butt to remember, you know what? We may just be in transition right now. You're almost there. If, you, if, you're, if you're a runner in the house, you know, I did some research on this. And these marathon runners, and they have their own language. They have their own little cult following group of people. They love to run. at the point where they're almost there they're two-thirds of the way past they're already two-thirds away into their into their goal and they hit the wall and what they need in that moment and that's why you'll see they'll have their coaches placed about two-thirds of the way through they have more of the people with water bottles they'll have their little hype people on the side of the thing you got this you got this you got this here here drink this you got go 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 and 
the reason why is because if they don't have someone to just kind of push them a little bit further, then their mind begins to play tricks on them. Are you tracking with me? And they're looking, thinking, I'm going to quit. I can't go any. My feet won't go anymore. My, my, my breathing is labored. And friend, I can tell you that many of you have found yourself in transition. Many of you have found yourself over the last couple of years and you've hit the wall. And so you're standing there on the side of the thing going, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I can do. I don't know if we can make it through in this marriage anymore. I don't know if I can keep believing for that adult child to come home. I don't know if I can keep standing with God for my healing. And I just want to quit. But I'm here to tell you today, forgetting what is behind and pressing towards what is ahead. It's time to press on. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, you with me? Say yes. There is a sin to looking back. There is. The Bible brings out a very clear moment in the book of Genesis The book of Genesis starting in chapter 18 and then over into 19, and we'll hone in in this area in in chapter 19 about a man by the name of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Now, Abraham, Father Abraham, Abraham is the, the Bible calls him like the father of faith because before there was a law, before there was the law of Moses, before there were the Jewish people that were God's people that he made covenant with, Humanity had gotten to a place where they didn't want him. But God found a man named Abraham who still loved him and wanted. And so God said, from you, I'm going to develop my people. From your loins, from your, from, your, from your people, from your children and your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I'll make a covenant with you, Abraham, by faith, a God that you cannot see. And Abraham began to engage with the God of heaven and earth. And God had blessed him. The Bible calls it the blessing of Abraham. He had a blessing. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who curse you, Abraham. Because we come into covenant relationship. Well, he had a nephew named Lot. And God blessed Lot because obviously he was in relationship with Abraham, who's in relationship with God. And Lot had begun to somewhat develop a relationship with the living God. And Lot got married, had kids, and his, all of his businesses blew up and grew. And they got so big that Abraham's businesses and, and, and Lot's businesses began to conflict with each other. Their different herdsmen began to fight with each other. And so they decided to kind of put some space between them. And so Lot and his wife and his family moved to an area called Sodom and Gomorrah. There were these twin cities. And probably you've heard about them in some kind of crazy rap song or, you know, maybe you watch, you know, some kind of History Channel special or something. But at the end of the day, these two cities are known throughout Scripture as some of the most wicked peoples on the planet. And the reason why is because what's transpiring in Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19 The Lord says, the Bible says that the Lord came and was visiting. Angels came and were visiting with Abraham. And Abraham, the the, the Lord said, how can we hold back from Abraham what we're about to do? And so they told Abraham, we're about to destroy these two twin cities that, uh, that your nephew Lot lives in. Because their wickedness has come up before the Lord so great that the Lord says they cannot exist like this anymore. It's too vile. It must be taken care of, must be dealt with. And so Abraham went into this negotiations with, with, uh, with the Lord. He said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people, will you spare the cities? He said, sure, well, I'll do it. He said, well, what, what, what about if there's only 40? Sure, I'll do it. And he, he literally negotiates down if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah because he's trying to save Lot and his wife and their children and whoever they've married at this point. And think, you know, he's, he's just trying to like, Lord, please. Don't kill off all the people. If there's some righteous representation there, then they could actually help the people know you. And God says, absolutely. And they go into the city. The Bible says that God sends two angels into the city, and they go, and they find Lot, and they're staying the night with Lot. They're having dinner with Lot. 
And, uh, and, and in the middle of it, they could not find ten righteous people. And as they're having dinner with Lot, the men of the city come pounding on the door saying, we saw the men that you brought into your home, these foreigners, these visitors, send them out so that we can have homosexual relationships with them. And, uh, and, and Lot uh, keeps them inside. He goes out and says, sirs, don't do this. Don't do this. Instead, I'll give you my daughters and you can, you can have them through the night. And they said, how dare you say that? And, and uh, we don't care. We want the men. And they're about to bust through the door when the angels grab Lot, pull him in, in and then he, they walk out and they blind all the people of the city. So they're groping around. It's nighttime at this point. And so then what happens is the angels say, it's coming. It's got to happen. Lot, you guys need to get out of the city. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 12. It says, and the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons of daughters, or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, verse 13, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Skipping down to verse 15, it says, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, verse 16, when he hesitated. I want you to think about his hesitation. Why would he hesitate? Why would he hesitate? Because this is his home. This is the culture that he's been living in. He finally built his dream home. He's been, he's been putting up with all these people's wickedness because they finally found a place to settle. They've been nomads up until this point, and now they live in the city. They're socialites. They're somebody big in the city. Everyone knows them. They're different than everyone else, and not only that, but they are prospering, and everything, the kids go to school here. They, 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 that's their favorite place to shop over there. This is a place of comfort, and yes, we know it's wicked, and yes, but, you know, and, 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 but they're really not that bad. Probably all these kind of excuses are happening when he hesitates. It says the men grasping, it's talking about angels, grasped his hand and his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Now I, I'm so grateful, and the scripture's making a point. The Lord was merciful because in their moment of disobedience, in their moment of weakness, the Lord could have said, Fine, stay here then. See what happens to you. But he was merciful. Aren't you glad that God has not left you and I in our stupidity? Aren't you grateful that he's, I mean, how many times has he strong-armed you out of a situation? You thought for sure you had to marry that one, and aren't you glad, thank you, Jesus, that he strong-armed you out of that situation? Come on, somebody. Don't turn to your husband right now. We'll just stay focused. It says, it says, and so, verse 17, as soon as they brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. That's what the angel tells them. Pay attention. Don't look back. You already, have a he you already hesitated once. You already show us that you love this sinfulness and that, and that you're having a hard time breaking from it. So I'm telling you very clearly, don't look back. Don't do it. And so they start fleeing, as you, if you will. It says, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. Let's skip down to verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zorah, the sun had risen over the land. So the sun, sun started coming up. And then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah <clears throat> from the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, 
and also the vegetation in the land. Pause for a moment. I've been to Israel. I've been to what scholars believe is the spot that this city had existed, Sodom, these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they believe it's at the spot that they now call the Dead Sea. It's a salt pile. Everything, it's, got, it's got water, but every bit, all the vegetation is dead. Everything around it cannot grow because it's the salt content. It's, you can't drown in the water because of how much salt is in it. And the, and the, and the shoreline is like these jagged knife, uh, you know, crystallized pieces as the salt dries up and it crystallizes. I mean, it just literally, you, you cannot walk out to the water barefooted. It's that sharp. It is the most amazing, interesting place you've ever seen. And most scholars believe it was the site. And so when God rains down fire and he burns it to a crisp, turns it all to nothing but salt. And now that's what we have left over from the thousands of years earlier when this transpired. Picking back up in verse 25. Thus, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Verse 26. But Lot's, excuse me, Lot's wife Look back, and she became a pillar of salt. I would love to see one of the great movie producers make this. I, I, you know, I even thought about for a moment, but we just don't quite have the team ready to do this, that in this moment, I was going to have a lady stand up here and act like she was Lot's wife, and then all of a sudden, I was going to flash you with a great light, Turn the lights off, turn them back up, and then just have a pile of salt right there. And you'd all be like, wow, that's so dramatic, Pastor Adam. I now see it. But then I thought, ah, they watch TV all day long and Netflix, so I can explain it to them in their mind. She's gone. She's over. And it's a pile of salt because she looked back. Now, if you don't understand God and you don't understand his ways and you try to view this through your uh, Western um, little... uh, ideologies and so forth, you might say, why in the world would God do that? Sweet lady, all she did was just glance back and poof, that's not fair based on your sense of righteousness, (laughs) your justice that you walk in. Uh, Let me help you maybe kind of grasp a little bit better. The concept here is that she didn't accidentally look back. The concept here is she turned back. Why? Because she was longing for the culture that she had been experiencing for the last however many years. Because her identity, stay with me, was wrapped in that culture. And God is taking her out of that culture to save her life and to save her children and to save her family. But she loved the culture more than she loved the God who wanted to save her. I want to warn you, don't look back. We live in a wicked culture, and I'm telling you, we've all grown up with it. We all have an appetite and a taste bud for it. But, friend, can I tell you, God has called you out to serve him. He has been there for you. He has saved you from so many things. And it is my message to you today. Don't look back. Don't go back to your old ways of cursing and being perverted. Don't go back to all your old ways of lying and cheating and manipulating to get ahead. You don't have to make the other guy look bad so that you can get the sale. You just need to be righteous before the Lord, and God will lift you up. Don't look back. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back to talking bad about everybody. Don't go back to being a pervert. Don't go back to your drunkenness. Don't go back to your dependency on all those things. Don't go back to fearing, you know, what men have to say about you. Just stand in the righteousness of God and press on. Are you with me? Say yes. Look what Proverbs chapter 4 says. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Above all else, 
guards your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. One translation says, it's everything from life comes from your heart. Everything you do comes from you. It is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk away from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. So from these two passages, the Philippians passage and this Proverbs passage, I want to give you a little bit of coaching on the keys to pressing on. I want to help you learn to press on. I have learned over the years to be a man who just keeps pressing on. When things don't go right, I press on. When everything goes falls, falls apart around me, I just keep pressing on. I, I have learned to put somebody and others around me who'll say, you can do this, you can do this. I'm married to the greatest coach. She'll sit there and go, you can get your butt up off that ground, boy, and you get to running again. Stop whining about it. I know your feet hurt, but there's a goal that we got to get to. Friend, you've got to hear this today. It's time to press on. Are you with me? Say yes. You're still talking about what happened bad in the pandemic. You're still identified by, you know, what didn't go right in your first marriage. It's time to press on. So I'm going to give you some keys out of these holy scriptures. The first thing you got to do, you ready? What is the first thing we learned in Philippians 3? But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. So the first step to pressing on is to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You got to let it go. You gotta let, you're still talking about your first marriage. You're still talking about what your kid did three months ago and you're still mad about it. Let it go. You cannot press on when you're still stuck in the spot that you used to be in. Press on. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta let it go, even if you haven't seen your promise yet. I had prophecies that held me in bondage. You're gonna be this man. You're gonna do this. You're gonna be greatly used by God. And as we were planting this church, I was not being greatly used by God. This was not a very successful experience for Jamie and I as we were starting from scratch and all over in our 40s. We had no one supporting us. We had hardly any income. We had a handful of amazing people. But I had prophecies that I would speak to the nations, that I'd be a revivalist. And I'm looking at this 150 group of people sitting in the Methodist church on a Sunday night. Nobody's getting saved. The people are leaving because we don't have good enough kids ministries for them and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, what have I done? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, the prophecies have become idols to you. Let them go and just do what I told you to do today. I was like, I can do that. Thank you. Smile and be grateful that your wife loves you, that your children love the Lord, and that you are with me and I'm with you. Sometimes you got to let it go. Are you with me? Say yes. Because you know what? He will bring it back around. Because now look what I'm doing. I'm getting to love the greatest group of people on the planet. I'm getting to raise up some of the greatest warriors this world will ever see. It's been phenomenal. But it was not what I thought it was going to be when we started into this thing. Because I had some kind of dream. Some of you got married and you thought, he's my knight in shining armor. And now you're looking at him like, dude, you're not even Shrek, bro. You're worse than Shrek. What I'm trying to tell you is let go of all those old things because while you're holding on to them, you can't move forward. Are you still there? Say yes. See, you got to let go of being defined by yesterday. Some of you are still trying to be that high school jock. You're still trying to be that, you know, you know, that thing that you were in your 20s or wherever you were at, and you're still, trying, you're still talking about what you did back in the day. I did that for years. Let it go. Paul says, literally, he says, he says, forgetting what is behind. Do you know what Paul is talking about when he says, I forget what is behind and I press towards what ahead? 
He's not talking about his failures. Go back and read the past. He's talking about his successes. Early in that chapter, he said, listen, let me explain something. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under Gamaliel, who Gamaliel still to this day in Judaism is considered one of the top rabbis of all time. Paul was like, I'm the, I was the up and coming. I was the stud of the year. Year after year, I won the greatest, the most likely to succeed awards. I was the dude in Judaism. But forgetting what is behind. Because you got to understand, once he let go of Judaism to follow Jesus, he became enemy number one to all those people that he had been a part of. And he says, I forget all those trophies. Some of you are still holding on to trophies of the past. Well, it's so funny because I'll ask some of you, hey, man, would you help us lead a small group? Yeah, just love on some people. Just grab a cup. Well, pastor, you know, back in the day, I was the such and such at my last church. And it's so hard for me not to say, well, why are you here then? Why don't you stay there? But how rude would that be? So I'd never say that. I never even think it. Lord, I repent in this pulpit for lying to these people. The point is, is that you're still talking about what you did back in the day. And you're still talking about your trophies of the past. Oh, man, back in the day, we did this, and I, I used to have a such and such ministry, and da, da, da. That's awesome. Forgetting what is behind. Let that go. Now. Now. God's wanting to do something now. Turn that chapter. That, listen, have you ever read a book? There are the chapters where there are the coolest chapters. Of the, of, the, of the persons, of the characters, main characters' life. And there, there are chapters that are the toughest chapters for us. But all of that makes the book the beauty that it is. And so you can't compare yourself to that cool chapter while you're in the chapter where things are being developed in you and things are being sanded off in you and say, oh, I wish I could have chapter three again. I just want chapter three. You're so busy looking at chapter three that you're not developing like you're supposed to in chapter five. That's why you got to... Let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Here's the next key to pressing on. You still with me? Say yes. Remember the goal. I want to help you. What is the goal? The goal is not that you finally one day have your own ministry. The goal is not that one day you finally have that big house. You are misunderstanding the goal. Paul clearly gives the goal in a few verses in the one that we read in Philippians chapter 3. Let me bring you up a couple of verses. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ." And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, verse 11. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, listen, I've got all these trophies. I've done all these great things. Right now, I'm sitting in prison writing these doggone letters. Life is sucks for me by way of that standard. But here's the goal. I just want to know Christ. I don't want to know him as a 20-year-old. I've already done that. I don't want to know him as a person who didn't think about the responsibility as you've aged that you carry now. Think about the stuff you know that you didn't know that you may have never served God if you'd have known. Right? Paul is saying, I want to know Christ now, where I'm at now. I need him in a fresh new way now. This is the goal. The goal is not to get to the top of the building. The goal is not to get to the top of the pyramid and look down at everybody else. The goal is just to know Christ. Do you know him better than you knew him six years ago? Does he speak to you as clearly as he ever has? He said, no, pastor. I just, I mean, I don't, I, I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian for 47 years. I can't hear his voice. Okay, something's broken. You missed the goal. What did you put your affection and attention to that caused you to miss the real goal? 
The real goal is not how many times. You, you, you've heard this from us over and over again. I don't care how many times you do and don't come to services. I just want you to be like Jesus. Because that is the, that's all I want for me. That's all I want for my children. The real goal is I just want, Paul said, I just want to know Christ. I want to be like him. I want to, I want to understand, like in the suffering thing that Jesus went through, it made him who he was. I want to even embrace that. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I don't want to be a little sissified Christian who can't heal the sick and raise the dead and can't pray my way out of a tough time in my life and I go quit. I want to know Christ. I want to be filled with Christ. This is the goal. You'll never move on if you've got the wrong goal. You'll be moving in the wrong direction and keep circling the wagons. Like, why do I keep coming back here? I don't understand why I keep coming back here because you got the wrong goal. Too many Christians have gotten confused on the goal. But the goal is simply this. We just want to be like Jesus. I wake up every day and I just remind myself of the goal. Lord, the goal today is not to fix everyone's problems at Hill City. Lord, the goal today is not to have, you know, better kids ministry and youth ministry. That's not the goal. The goal is I just want to be like you today. How do I be more like you, Jesus? I just want to be, I want to know you. I want to know you intimately. Because in that, then the world can burn down and I will be safe in the, in the loving arms of the one. Are you with me? Say yes. This is the goal. Here's the... Third thing I would teach you, if you're going to press on, here's some keys to pressing on. Number one, you got to let it go. Number two, you got to remember the goal. Number three, you got to guard your heart. That's what Proverbs 4 and 23 told us. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. So your heart is like a sponge. Have you ever noticed that? It's like a sponge. It absorbs. It absorbs. And when you're going through a real tough time, if you don't guard your heart, your, your heart will absorb all the negative things that were said about you. You're so stupid. I never wanted to be in this marriage to begin with. I never wanted, I never wanted you as a son to begin with. I just did. And your heart will absorb that if you don't guard your heart. Or if you're flipping through your social media and all of a sudden you start seeing all this other stuff that everyone else is getting to do and you're not getting to do it. And all of a sudden your heart begins to be, be, be mad at God. Like, God, how come I don't get that? And jealousy starts raging up on inside of you. And then you start acting out on those things. Listen, guard your heart. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. I keep my heart away from absorbing that which is wicked. Jamie and I have learned to do that over the years. Just, I, I find myself sometimes maybe if I'm watching too, too many you know, Netflix specials or I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through TikTok too much and all of a sudden I feel my heart get heavy. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm hating everybody in the government. They're all nothing but wicked. They're all Satan incarnate. I start getting fearful. There's some underground movement of demon worshipers. And my heart starts getting heavy. And I start going down the rabbit hole. And all of a sudden I realize, whoa, wait a minute. The last I heard, Jesus said, why do the nations rage? For the Son of Man, the King of Glory, sits on his throne. And he laughs at all of their raging and all of their injustice and all their manipulation. Because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will set all things right. And I just need to stay safe in the palm of his loving arms and in his loving hands. And so, friend, I have learned to guard my heart. So sometimes I just start cutting stuff out. Stuff that's coming towards, getting away from people that are always negative and talking bad. It gets in my heart. And next thing you know, I'm negative. I'm gossiping. I'm thinking bad about people and I've got to learn to guard my heart and I've learned to do it and when I have mess up moments I come back and say Lord forgive me cleanse out my heart get all that junk out of my filter because the heart really is the filter get it all out of me Lord get it all out of me Lord God I just I just purify my heart Lord God through repentance and then friend from there let me tell you something you can walk up and know that Woo, that person right there used to gossip about me but I love you Woo, I bless you why because I'm moving on I'm pressing on 
and you're not holding me back with all your little brokenness. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Oh, you don't love me, but I love you. Number four, here's the, here's the fourth thing that that pro- Proverbs told us to do. Here you go. You ready? Here's the fourth thing. It's that easy. Shut your mouth. Just shut up. Every now and then I'll be talking to my wife, looking at me. Like, shut up, stupid. You're running your mouth too much. Look at Proverbs 4 and 24 that we just quoted. Said, it says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. You will keep yourself from moving forward in God and moving forward in life by running your mouth too much. Always talking about what didn't go right, about who, how it's everybody else's fault. Always talking about how this didn't go, you know, you were promised this. I don't even understand. I can't tell you how many people we counsel that just like, you know, I'm just mad at God. Why are you mad at God? Well, God made me a promise and it hadn't happened. Shh, shh, shh. You crazy? Stop running your mouth. Just say God's good. For in due season, if we faint night, not, we shall receive the reward of our faithfulness. Just shut up. I'm telling you, some of us have fashioned our world with our words. And that's why David said, Lord, may the, med- may, the, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I think it's the book of James. He says, he says that tongue is an unruly evil. You must get a hold of it. Best thing I could ever teach you to do is just shut up. Stop running your mouth. So I just don't understand why, why my family didn't have faith because you run your mouth all day long about how bad life is. It ain't right, and this ain't fair, and you always, you always got to have a bad guy, and, you're, and there's always a new bad guy in your life, and you're always talking bad about him. And let me just tell you something I learned years ago. Until I recognized that Satan was the bad guy, and that everybody else are just people, and that God allowed people in my life who will sand off the rough edges, and it makes me mad the whole time, until I learned to stop make them, making them the villain... And start making sure who the true villain is, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Man, it taught you to set my marriage free. Jamie wasn't the villain anymore. She wasn't the bad guy anymore. She wasn't the one holding me back from the glory of God anymore. Just set me free. Shut your mouth. Just shh. That's what the Proverbs say as he's teaching us to move on. You still with me? Say yes. All right, let me give you the last one. Here's the fifth way as these two scriptures have taught us. Proverbs 4 and 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. So, number five, look ahead. Look ahead. If you only consume yourself with what's going on right now, then you'll never see the beauty that God has planned for you. And so you can't press forward if all you're doing is looking ahead. Years ago, um, my wife bought me and and Pastor Jonathan's wife bought him um, a trip to, um, to, to drive NASCAR. And so uh, Texas Motor Speedway was offering this opportunity for people to come and get to drive on the track a real NASCAR. Is that a NASCAR or whatever? Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I'm not that redneck guy. Pastor Jonathan is. He's, I mean, he's all into it. I never could understand why you just took a left turn and you never stopped for six hours. I mean, that just wasn't exciting to me um, until I got there. And so... So we've got these professional trainers. They're, they're training us. We sit in the classroom for about an hour. And they go through all the workings of this whole thing. And the plan is that they're going to let us be in the cars by ourselves. 
And so I'm like, dude, I'm crashing this bad boy into a wall at 150 miles an hour. Like, I, I want to be on the news media tonight. This is going to be a blast. And so, and so they, and they take you down in the pit, and they show you the cars, and then, and then they take you out on the track, and they take you on the pit road piece, and you're standing there, and I'm telling you, you better doggone have some earplugs in. These cars are so stinking loud. And when they start those engines, it's like, you know, all about that bass. I mean, the, it starts shaking you. Just stand like, ah! It's, and your neck says, and there's 20 cars lined up. And there's, there's 15 or 20 of us that have gone through this class and are going to get to drive these, these cars. And so they put me in the car. I've got my helmet on. And the power is so intimidating. It is so intimidating. And I can't tell you how they kept telling us. They probably said it 10,000 times. Don't look at the steering wheel. Don't look at 10 feet in front of you. You need to be looking 200 yards ahead. Because at the speed you're going to be going, if you concentrate on what's directly in front of you, you will crash this vehicle and potentially kill yourself because you're going to be moving so fast, you will not have time to react if you're not watching what's ahead. So we get in these cars, and the whole goal was who could get it up the fastest because they only let us have like 10 or 15 laps, whatever it was. And so the whole goal was whoever got it up the fastest. And Pastor Jonathan, who's a NASCAR guy, was like, dude, you know I'm going to beat you. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so. And so it's, it's a clutch, you know. And so some of you have never <laughs> driven a car with a clutch. So millennials, they're this thing in cars from back in the day. We push it and we shift this thing. And it, yeah, it was unbelievable. And so, um, and so we're in, I'm in this car. Pastor Jonathan gets to go in the, in, in the car ahead of me. So they let him get on out, you know, almost. I think they made us all get like a quarter of a lap ahead of each other. They sent us out a little bit, a little, each one right behind each other after about a quarter of a lap. And so I'm in it, and I'm coming up to the curb. And if you haven't seen these curves, they're 25-degree angle. It's unbelievable. I mean, it feels like literally when we got out and walked it, you almost had to climb up this, car, this embankment. It is um, you've got to be going fast or you literally will slide down it and crash it. So, and so we're in it, and the guy's like, uh, all right, Mr. McCain, or, or car six, whatever I was, car six, coming around the curve, you're gonna, what gear are you in? And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in fourth gear. He's going to drop it down to fifth. I'm like, okay. And I'm, I'm winding it. I'm like, this is the greatest. This is the greatest. I mean, you're saying, oh, this is so unbelievable. And if you haven't done 150 miles an hour, you should get to do 150 miles. Everyone should get to do 150 miles an hour legally, legally, legally. I want to qualify for YouTube and clips that will be misappropriated of me. Legally get to do 150 miles an hour. Anyway, so, so uh, go to the Audubon or something. Anyway, so, so I'm hitting, I'm coming up on this embankment. And doing an embankment like this at 150 miles an hour you can't see what's right here if you're not looking at it. I want you to think about that. You're, you're coming here. And so I had this moment where I went so high up because I had lost concentration to keep looking ahead. To look ahead means I need to look over here while the car's going here because we're coming for it. And this is what some of you have done in your life. You're so busy with this right here that you've lost dreams and hopes and visions, because right here looks so bad, and you're trying to, you're constantly trying to figure, what's my six ways to get out of this, what's my next three steps I need to take, Frank, can I just, just look to Jesus, just look, 
Just keep your eyes fixed on that which is ahead. He's got nothing but good plan for you. He's got a dream and a purpose and a plan for you. And let me tell you something. Right now, you may not be living that perfect plan, but you just keep taking one step. Press forward. Press forward because a baby is coming. Just keep pushing. The goal line is close. Just keep moving. You got it. Don't give up. You may feel like you hit the wall, but you haven't. You still got more in you. Press on to see the reward of your faithfulness. Press on. God's got you in the palm of his hand. I know it may be tough and it may feel terrible. Friend, when I came out of that curve, I'm so high. I remembered, oh my Jesus, I'm looking at the wrong spot. So I turned and I whipped the car like that. It started fishing. It was the greatest experience ever. And I would like to just announce officially, publicly, for all ages, that I outdrove Pastor Jonathan by multiple miles an hour. I said, by one mile an hour. And it's forever documented. And I keep that on the wall of my office with my picture next to my car and the how fast I went. And I often go ask him, where's your piece of paper? How fast you went? I like to see that. Just want to compare the two again. Keep looking ahead. Let's review for a moment. How are we going to get past this? How are we going to keep pressing on? Number one, let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Number two, remember the goal. Everybody say, remember the goal. Number three, guard your heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. Turn the person next to you, number four, and say, shh, shut up. Number five, look ahead. Everybody say, look ahead. Stand with me all across. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.